Maths Talk by AMSI Schools, where conversations in maths become part of your professional learning practice. Today, you're in for a real treat. We have a very special guest flown in from interstate, our very own Helen Booth. Hi, Welcome, Leanne. Helen. It's so lovely to see you. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of things, but first of all, I need you to tell us what you've been doing in the last two years, three years. Yeah, it's actually nearly three years, so... Um I finished up at AMSI at November, December 2019 and moved to Adelaide um, January 31st, 2020. I moved over there to do my study at the University of South Australia to start a PhD. Unfortunately, work got in the way and it got put on hold, um, but I'm hoping to go back to it next year. I've been working for the Maths Association of South Australia on a part-time basis and also for the University of South Australia as a, a lecturer, course writer and course developer in maths education, particularly primary. Mm-hmm. So I've had a very, very busy two and a half years. And while you were all locked down, I was very lucky enough to be racing all around South Australia, um, visiting teachers in remote and rural schools and working with them in their classrooms so I was really continuing to do what I did at AMSI when I was working on in Port Augusta and Port Headland, but I was working in just in South Australia and mm. went from as far west as Sejuna, uh, as far north as Cooperpedi, northeast as Renmark, and as far southeast as uh, Millicent, so oh. and everywhere in between. Okay, so you covered pretty much all of South Australia. Oh boy, do we miss you in <laughs> Victoria, though, Helen? And I, I have to let you know that whenever I needed any information about primary teaching, and often a lot about secondary teaching. Helen was the person that I went to. Well, thank you, Leanne. You, you are the font of so much knowledge. And this is why I wanted to get Helen on today. We could have discussed any number of topics. And don't worry, we will. I'll get her back. I think she's an expert on the Zoom machine. So <laughs> uh, we can uh, we can do that. Yep. But in the office, as we were having a cuppa, we were actually talking about maths anxiety. So what I thought was that I'm going to do a, a series on maths anxiety because we all, we've all experienced it in the classroom and everything. But before we get on to how to help our kids, I think it's really important that we address the elephant in the room and that's maths anxiety amongst teachers. You've got a really good point there, Leanne, because... What the research tells us, and there's a lot of research around about this, is that if a teacher suffers from maths anxiety, they spread it like COVID. And this is particularly of concern because it often happens between female teachers and their female students. Mm-hmm. In primary, at primary level, um, there's research about elementary primary school um, teachers in, in the States and Canada where this has been found to be a real Problem. It's not just in primary school teachers and it's not just in females, but unfortunately there seems to be more prevalent probably because most primary school teachers are female. So therefore yeah. it looks like it's far more present mm-hmm. in the population than it probably is. So possibly the same proportion, mm. but 
because there are so many. Yeah. 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 And also being a generalist teacher means that maths may not be your strong point. Your strong point may be literacy. It may be humanities, arts, physical education, science even. But as a primary school teacher, you are expected to teach English, maths, science, humanities, at the least in your classroom. So a lot of people put time and effort into studying the thing that they are passionate about. And so if you're not passionate about teaching mathematics, if it's something that you have not had a really positive relationship with over your schooling, then you're probably not putting in the same amount of effort and energy into um, delivering it and learning how to teach it and feeling confident and capable in it because you don't have necessarily good memories of it. Mm. Um, So you... You know, and we all avoid things that we don't like, let's be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. I've heard a lot of stories from primary teachers especially about some of their experiences in maths. And, you know, these are young teachers. Mm. This shouldn't be happening. Yeah. What can we do? Well, I think one of the things that I've found really interesting over the last couple of years uh, in my work at UniSA in particular is with working with primary pre-service teachers who are taking on maths as their specialism. So they're going to study maths for four years. Um, And they've made that choice and they obviously consider maths to be important Mm -hmm. and want to do the best they possibly can with it. But one of the things we do in the first week of the course is we talk about them as maths learners And we talk about maths anxieties. And the first actual activity or checkpoint that they have to do is they they read an article and then do a read and reflect on it. And the number of these students who say they'd never actually heard of maths anxieties before. And for some of them, they're really grateful because it actually puts a name to a feeling that they have been experiencing most of their lives, that this feeling, you know, the fact that they find out that maths anxiety actually has a physiological um, aspect to it of of increased heart weight and uh, sticky hands and all this sort of things. And they're like, oh, so I wasn't, it wasn't just me because it's almost like it hasn't been talked about. And I think this is, you know, we we have an issue around for mental health, you know, and Anxiety is is a mental health issue. Absolutely. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's anxiety of the type that uh, so people are afraid to go out or all those sorts of things. When you talk about maths anxiety, these are people who get anxious at the thought of having to do maths or doing tests and all this sort of thing. They have these physiological reactions to the idea, and it's not because it's not talked about. Mm-hmm. They think they're alone. Okay, and they're not alone. They're, they're not alone. And uh, this interests me, the fact that these are actually the students that have chosen to specialise in mm. maths. Yes. Right, not all of them have maths anxiety, but what about the students that have not chosen to specialise in maths and will still be teaching maths in primary school? How are we going to get those? Well, I think this is something that um, the uni- you know, universities and the, with their pre-service programs have to look very closely at. And 
unfortunately, we're under so much pressure to fit in everything into a four-year degree that what do we actually focus on? We Can we focus on everything? However, I think this idea of making sure students are aware of this concept of maths anxiety and the fact that they, they themselves may suffer from yes. it and it's having them discuss what can I do to overcome my own maths anxiety um, and also so now I know that this maths anxiety exists, mm-hmm. I experience it myself or I can see it in myself or I see it in my peers, I can identify it in my students. Now, yeah. some of the really worrying things is research is telling us that uh, maths anxiety can turn up as in young as year one students. Oh my goodness. Um, and th- there's a whole lot of reasons why people develop maths anxiety mm-hmm. and Research says that one of them is a predisposition predispos- to mm-hmm. anxiety of, of various kinds. Yeah, that's logical. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, one of the biggest impacts is the social environmental impacts it has. So if you've got a child who is suffering from maths anxiety or beginning to show that anxious when faced with maths in year one, it's probably not something they've developed themselves. That's come mm-hmm. from somewhere else. They yeah. they have seen that or heard about it probably from their parents mm. or they've seen it in their teachers. Mm-hmm. And that's and they're picking up this vibe, oh God, it's maths time. Which is a real worry because you know, we, we have so many issues with society in mathematics. You knew will have experienced this yourself. You know, you go to a dinner party and Everybody says, you know, what do you do? And you go, I'm a maths teacher. And the first thing they say is, oh, either, oh, God, I hate mathematics or I can't do mathematics or I had such a terrible maths teacher at school. Where if you go in, which I've done because I'm a generalist and I'm actually also a reading recovery trained teacher and a TEFL teacher and say, well, I'm a, um, I'm a reading or a language teacher, they don't say, oh, God, I hate English. <laughs> no, never. Um, so it's that idea that we're actually having to deal with things at a societal level about this impression of what is mathematics. Mm. And this, you know, this is where the worker, you know, Joe Bowler talks about we're all maths people. Mm-hmm. And what happens is people tend to remember the bad stuff. So they remember the maths they couldn't do. Yeah. They remember the maths that was a really hard stuff. And that's what they put down as being maths. That's maths to them. No, maths is what you do every day. You you cannot get up in the morning and get through the day without Mm. doing maths. And you're doing it successfully. And you're doing it it successfully. And maths anxiety is their shameful little secret. Now, if we can get that out to say this is actually something that is A, not your fault, and B, is able to be worked on, Mm -hmm. then we're not going to pass this on to our students. Yeah, I think, and, you know, I I go out, not only do I uh, do the pre-service teachers, but in my role at um, MASA, I provide professional learning in staff rooms all all around South Australia. I love your stories. (laughs) (laughs) And... One of the things I, I love doing is, um, and, and I do it for shock value, 
is I'll put a PowerPoint up and we'll you know, do an introduction and I'll talk about something. And then I'll put a PowerPoint up that says something like 3.69 take away 1.8 uh, sorry, 1.98. And I just then put it up there and I go, I'd i sort of do it as a number talk. So, you know, I explain beforehand, put your thumb up when you've got an answer and, yeah. you know, you do it mentally and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I watch around the staff room as the <laughs> teachers go into this little meltdown yeah. as the fact that they are expected to do this particular sum mm. in their head mm. and... They are like, they just, you know. It's I can like, just see the grade one <laughs> teacher sitting there thinking, I teach grade one for a very specific reason and this is it. You cannot activate your working memory if you are engaged in an anxious thoughts. Mm-hmm. Because as much as we like to think we can multitask, we can't. No. And so our brain goes, <sighs> and the working memory stops. So what I do is I don't do it. I don't torture them, but I it's let them have a look at oh, it. Oh, I think you do, <laughs> Helen. <laughs> and then I go to the next slide, which actually says 369 take away 198. And I said, can you do this one? And they go, oh, yeah. And I said, well, what would you do? They go, oh, we'll just round that up to 200. And I go, okay. And then I swap back to the, the, the slide that's got the 1.98. What about this number then? And they go, oh, that's actually nearly two, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I said, Yes. So why did you all freeze up? And they said, because of the decimal points. <laughs> so what you've got to do, and this is one of the things that, that, to do with our maths anxiety, and what I'm constantly telling my students is to stop, breathe, look at it, find what I know about these numbers and think about these numbers. One of my favourite maths educators is, is James Tanton. Oh, yes. And he has this wonderful saying where he says, if I don't like a number, I change it and deal with the consequences. Love that. And love it. It, it's, it's so, so a point important. You know, 1.98. I don't want to, I don't want to deal That's with 1.9. That's a number. <laughs> Nobody likes that number. Yeah, so, okay, let's round it to two. But remember... I added two hundreds. Yeah. There are going to be consequences. <laughs> There's going to be consequences. And when I point this out to teachers, they go, oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I said, yeah, so this is this is what you need to do. Instead of when you see something that you don't like, you just let your brain take over and go panic, panic, panic. Mm-hmm. You need to stop. You need to breathe. You look at the individual numbers and go, what do I know about these numbers? What, what can I see is going to work with these numbers? And it's even worse when I put up fractions, and I love doing that as well. I put mixed, mixed numbers you up on them. You are a torturer. I do. I love it. I love it doing with my, my students as well. And I'll put up something like, you know, three and a quarter, add one and seven eighths. And they're like, ah, oh, we've got to change it. We've got to do all the alterations. We've got to put them into it. And I'm like, no, stop. Look at the numbers. Look at these numbers. What do you know about them? And then they'll go, oh, one, one and seven eighths is actually nearly two, isn't it? I said, yes. So what do you do to one and seven eighths to make it two? Oh, you add one eighth. Where are you getting that eighth from? So you can either deal with the consequence or you can actually take it from somewhere. Oh, where could you take it? Oh, well, you change the three and a quarter into three and two eighths and take an eighth from there. So now I've got three and an eighth plus two. Hmm. 
So you're preempting the consequences, really? There. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, the, and that that's is where the making number talks matter matters by um, Kathy Humphreys and Ruth Parker are really mm. good. They have all these strategies in there, yep. and getting the students to and teachers to look at those strategies and go, oh, okay, so that's that's what's going on here. As always, we will put all of our resources onto the show notes. So, Helen, how do you approach this whole mathematics thing with your pre-service teachers? I guess it's it depends on whether they are taking a specialism in mathematics. So, I teach one group of students who are in their first year and they are called the maths primary educators group. So, mm-hmm. they have chosen that maths will be their specialism across the four years of their degree. So with them, they do it in a lot more detail. So mm-hmm. we go into it in a lot more depth and we go into the learning of mathematics because it's about building their confidence and capacity in themselves rather than just being teachers of mathematics. Yep. Because when they graduate, they're going to go into schools with this specialism in mathematics the same way as some people go in with PE and others go in with art and that they're going in with four years of studying maths essentially at their level we're not doing high level mathematics but we are covering maths in depth and this is we go all the way back and we start with trust the count and Mm -hmm. and the basics the early stuff but we also look at um, like place value and and making sure they understand how place value work works and discussing the properties and principles of place value and then looking at decimal fractions and pulling the the numbers apart and looking at them and becoming more confident and playing with them you know what what we need is people, and this is what we need in our students in our schools, to feel that they can play with numbers, mm. that they can look at a number, and it comes back to James's, I don't like the number, so I'll, I'll change it and deal with the consequences. You know, if I, I don't want to multiply 18 by 12. No. I can't, because I, 18 by 12, yes, I can do it as an algorithm. I can mm-hmm. stack it up. I can try and keep it in my head. That's not going to work for me. So what do I, how am I going to do that? Okay, I can actually go, I'm just going to multiply it by 10. 18 by 10 is 180. And then I'm going to multiply 18 by 12, uh, 2, which is um, 36. And I've got 180 and I've got 36 and I add them together. Because mm-hmm. I can break it up. I'm confident that I can break 12 up and deal with it in that way. And you didn't have to remember any rules no. or anything like that? I just know what what's happening you know your You know your tens and <laughs> you know your doubles. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, and this is one thing I'll say, Leanne, I, I say to my pre-service teachers and my in-service teachers, if you can make sure your kids know they're doubling and they're halving, They've pretty much got multiplication nailed. If they can double and halve, they can just I would about do much anything. I'd rather hear that doubling and halving than two times tables. Oh, yeah. Well, then, you know, this doubling and halving is, is an action. Yes. Whereas two times tables is a table. Yeah. When we are doing these different strategies, one of the ones that you do for multiplication is if you have numbers to to uh, multiply together, so something like 143 times 32. If you know doubling and halving, one of the rules is you double one and halve the other. 
Now, if you can continue to do that, now 32 is a nice one because I can half, so I'm going to half. So I have 32, I get to, to 16. I have 16, um, I get to 8. I have 8, I get to 4, I have 4, I get to 2, I have 2, I get to 1. Mm-hmm. So if I can double that other number, 132, 264, 500 and uh, whatever that's going to be, 28, 28. But if I can go up, that eventually I get a number times one. Mm. So I actually can work that out by doubling and halving. Mm. Now, when you're doing division, you halve and halve. So you take a number and you continually halve. Okay. Both the dividend and the divisor. You mm-hmm. halve them and you will get something that's easy to work with. Yep. So it's being able to be flexible with numbers. Yeah. So one of the things I, I work really hard with my students and my in-service teachers, so both the pre-service and the in-service, is developing this flexibility of thinking with numbers and being able to play with numbers, about able to pull them apart, being able to think of them in relation to one another. And that helps with this idea of 1.98. No, stop. Don't panic about 1.98. Think about what do you know about 1.98. Oh, it's nearly two. Hmm. I like two. Two's easy. And it doesn't matter whether I'm adding or subtracting. I, I can still subtract two quite easily. So it's this ability to be flexible in their thinking. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you've got to slow down. Yeah. And you've got to actually not let your little um, hamster in your head start running faster and faster because it's panicked. But actually, to get it off the bloody, excuse my language, <laughs> get it off the hamster wheel and stop it and actually just look and go, what do I know about this? And this is part of this, how do we do this with maths anxiety? How do we how do we stop? Because what, what ends up happening when somebody gets anxious about something, their brain starts, is yeah. like that hamster on the hamster wheel and starts running faster and faster and faster. And eventually it goes too fast and the hamster goes flying off and we give up. Mm-hmm. So it's about finding ways to calm yourself mm-hmm. down so that you can begin to look at things in a more rational. And it's not easy. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we just need to do this and we need to do that. I mean, if it was if that was easy, we would, would have all wouldn't have mass anxiety. We wouldn't, wouldn't have exist. any anxiety. Would no, we? we wouldn't have any anxiety. Um, you did talk about a way that you introduce getting the hamster off the wheel um, about the letter? Yeah. Oh, yes. The I also have written the course for all the first-year primary and early-year teachers at the university. And one of the things I try to get them to do is to reflect on their relationship with mathematics. Mm-hmm. Even as a, a coach, and I've been coaching since 2008, one of the first questions I'll always ask when I'm in a conversation with a teacher is, so tell me about your relationship with maths. How do you feel about mathematics? Mm. And getting people to think about that relationship. So I got them to all write a letter to maths, and it was just titled Dear Maths. <laughs> now, I have to admit that wasn't my idea. I found it somewhere online. I, I am the first to put my hand up and say I'm a magpie. Definitely. So... 
the students had to write this letter to maths titled Dear Maths. And I said it can be a love letter, a hate letter, a breakup letter, a reconciliation letter, a blame letter. You know, anything you like, I want you to actually just put down how you feel about mathematics. And a lot of the tutors have come back to me and said that was the best activity out because it really gave them an insight into how the various students in their tutor groups were feeling, felt about mathematics. And and they said some of them were so honest. It was hilarious. When I was in primary school, I hated you because you were mean and nasty and I couldn't understand what you're doing. But then when I got to secondary school, I found that I got a teacher who was really good and and made me understand you. Mm. And so we've got a better relationship now. My relationship with maths really soured in year 12. Mm. In our day, it was pure and applied. Mm. I don't go near that these days. Yeah, I stick to general because that just caused me so much trauma. And quite frankly, I would much prefer to do primary and middle years because I'm confident with that and I know where the problems can be. Mm. So my letter to maths is would be very different to what people would expect. Mm. And I think that's a really good self-reflection tool. That's it's really important. And this is where, where teachers have a very strong role in how they talk to students about subjects Mm. and their expectations. And I'm sure there are so many people out there who can relate to this particular story that I tell. I I did pure maths uh, in my final year and I had to move schools because I was in a country school and I would have had to have done three out of my five subjects on correspondence. So I started day boarding and went to a bigger secondary school. And started uh, pure maths. And the teacher, unfortunately, had been my uncle's maths teacher 20 years before. (laughs) The problem with that in particular was my uncle was actually a very brilliant mathematician. He won a scholarship to Stanford University in 1963 where he went and studied computer science and he was actually called a computer architect. That's what he did was design the mathematics um, uh, of how computers worked. And this teacher said to me after my first test of the year, and I got 81%, Pretty good. I'd be be throwing a party if I got 81% in pure maths. This teacher said to me, oh, not bad, but not as good as your uncle could have done. I did not pass a single test for the rest of the year. I passed the exam at the end of the year just, Mm. but I did not pass another test because he completely undermined my confidence. So this is where we have to be very careful about what we do because here I was a person who for whom maths was not easy, but it was something that I was confident in and capable in until Mm. I had my feet kicked out from underneath me and I could Mm. still do the maths, but I stopped believing in myself. And I think people need to recognise this with us who earn our living teaching maths and maths Mm. education. We have our own very real insecurities. So if we've got them, it's okay for you to have them mm, too. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse. I absolutely hate, you know, you go out to dinner and, and then somebody says to you at the end, oh, we need to split the bill. Oh, you're the maths teacher. You do it. And it's like, 
you know, I immediately, heart rate goes up, ha- hands get all sticky, and I'm like, you've got a calculator on your, t- on your phone, work it out for yourself. Yes. So one of the things that I think is really important is making sure people know what maths anxiety is, mm-hmm. that they understand that it is an actual real problem. Yep. It's a diagnosable problem that it has physiological consequences of when it happens. Now, there's two types of of anxiety that have been identified. One is state and the other is trait. Now, state is the one that you have in the instant, in the moment. You know, the fact that when somebody says, can you split the bill and you go into a little bit of a meltdown and your brain goes all funny and you just can't engage your working memory. Or you've spent all week studying and you get into the test, you sit down and your brain's gone blank. That's the the state. The trait is the one that is more worrying because that's the one that is long-term. And people who suffer from traiting maths anxiety actively go out of their way to avoid anything that's got maths in it or think they do. Mm. But as I said, we cannot avoid maths. Maths is all around us in everything we do. Buying food, looking at the time, Whatever getting a is, bank loan. Getting a bank loan, yeah. managing your salary, all of that mm. is to do with mathematics. Mm. But it's but people who think there might be maths involved in a job, for example, that they may have to do maths, some sort of maths, they, they won't apply for it. They won't do it. Mm. So those are people who really suffer from a maths anxiety uh, on a long-term thing. Mm. Um, I, w- I was talking to someone who is in the fashion industry and they said they get heaps of people wanting to be fashion designers. And part of fashion design, of course, is pattern drafting, pattern making. Mm. And you would be stunned at how many people who actually get into fashion drop out because they just cannot face the maths. And they'll say, I went into this because there's no maths involved. And it is all maths. Yeah, I can remember when we were doing Choose Maths Days and, mm. and we were organising what we, we were calling the local ambassadors. Mm. And one of the very first ones in one, one of my schools that, that was really keen to participate was a lady who was a hairdresser because she was sick and tired of young people turning up and thinking, oh, I don't need maths. So I'm not letting them near anything if they don't know how to do maths. And not only that, they you know think they might want to run their own business one day. Uh-huh. Well, if you don't have maths, and so she'd have to say, you know, well, one thing you need to know about proportions and you mm. need to know about rates and ratios and all this sorts of stuff. And they're like, we do. So it's this yeah, please sl- don't um, put any of that solution <laughs> near my head if it's in the wrong proportion. I don't want green hair. <laughs> So it's the whole thing about maths is prevalent in everything that we do. Mm. But it's this concept that we think of the maths that of what we think of as being maths is something that is far more abstract. Yes. That only only certain people do. I, I say, say, you know, we can't all be Shakespeare. Mm. We don't expect that we can all write like Shakespeare, but we all know we can write. Mm. It's the same as you can't all be my Uncle Rob. You know, you can't be at that level, but we don't want all everybody to be at that level. No. I have these arguments with my brother, and he's he's a plumber. Um, he's also a water and sanitation expert and has worked for the UNICEF in mm. multiple countries around the world, manage multi-million dollar programs. Mm. 
and we were having a discussion. He goes, oh, you know, that's really great, Hen. You, you know, you, you're really good at maths. I'm no good at maths. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> said, Excuse me? What do you mean you're no good at maths? You're a plumber. You know all about fall. You know about rate of flow. You know about this. And I said, not only that, you've been managing multi-million dollar projects. And I tell you one thing, they wouldn't have you do that if you didn't know your maths. That's and he goes, oh, I guess you're right. I said, yeah. the maths you're thinking about is the maths that Rob did. Mm. This is the thing that we really need to, to focus on, that maths anxiety is a thing. Mm. We need to be aware of it in our students, and we're going to talk about that in later episodes. But I think let's get back to our teachers and realise that maths anxiety is not your dirty little secret. It is something that happens. It is something that you need to get over. And there are ways and means of getting over it. And it's not even get over it. It's you need to learn how to manage it. Uh Um, I, I think to say you need to get over it is is... It's perhaps... It's like saying, get over your anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Cheer up. Oh, get Cheer over, up. Get over your depression. Yeah, cheer, cheer up. up. But you have to learn how to manage it. Mm. And part of that is this having different strategies in yourself. It's about slowing down. It's about not showing your fear of mm. the mathematics to the students that you're working with. It's acknowledging that maybe I need to do some more study or not even study. I need to do some more uh, reading reading around a particular, okay, I'm going to be teaching fractions. I always get a bit anxious about teaching fractions. All right, where can I go and find something to make sure that what I'm, I'm actually teaching, I'm feeling confident that I can do this with my students rather than feeling like... Am I telling them the right thing? Yeah. And the MC Calculate site is a very good place to start. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's exactly yeah. right. And there's so many places that are, are yeah. really good, uh, will give you a lot of information around it. But it's that acknowledging, and this comes back to self-regulated learning. And I don't mean in kids, I mean in, I mean in adults. Yeah. As educators... We should be lifelong learners. Mm. We are trying to encourage our students to become lifelong learners. So therefore, we should be modelling it ourselves. Absolutely. So it's about saying, what is an area of study that I need to undertake? And I don't mean academic going back to university or anything like that. It's about the self-study. Actually, Mm. I'm not confident in teaching fractions. Right, Mm. let's go and find out. Let's look at the curriculum, find out exactly what's in the curriculum, That what I need to teach, not only at that level that I'm teaching year three, which is on unit fractions. Mm. I actually need to go back and look at year um, one and two to see what they had to do beforehand before we got to there. And I need to know where it's going. All right, what is a unit fraction? Actually, I need to to upskill myself on what that is Mm. and find out about it. So when I go into the classroom, I can provide an activity for my students that's going to, first of all, identify prior knowledge. And I know what that prior knowledge is because I've been in... And, and checked on it and looked at it. So it's about teachers modelling lifelong learning. Mm, that's it. And this avoidance is the exact opposite of that. Mm. Don't avoid it. Yes. Look it in the face and punch it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's exa- exactly it. And it's that high idea of, you know, stop, look mm-hmm. at the 1.98, mm-hmm. don't like the number, change it and deal with the consequences. But you can't do that if your little hamsters run in <laughs> flat out on the hamster wheel. You actually have to stop mm-hmm. and get the hamster to stand still while you look at what you're dealing with. And then you can get the hamster running again and hopefully this time your working memories the yeah. one that's powering the hamster rather than your anxiety. But if you don't stop and look and think... I've got to talk about Cass because we've done presentations on uh, maths anxiety and Cass will be the first to admit that she suffers from anxiety, not from maths anxiety, but from anxiety of public speaking. Mm. And she has a little catchphrase that she uses to help her control that anxiety. And once she gets into the presentation, she's fine. But beforehand, it's hilarious because she's walking around going, calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. (laughs) And she's talking herself and breathing, calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. I will put the link on our page (laughs) to Calm Blue Ocean. Any Simpsons fans will actually recognise Calm Blue Ocean. Yes. As as always with Cass, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. But that's what she does to calm herself down. Not for the mathematics part mm. of it, but the presentation part of it. Yeah. And once she gets into it, she's fine. Um, and I've presented with her more than once. And, you know, she is fine and we bounce off one another and that sort of thing. But it's that initial I one. Never have, I would never have picked no. that she had a, any fear of public speaking. <laughs> she could talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, we've been talking for some time now. Yep. I'd like to thank you, Helen. It has been an absolute privilege to be talking to you. And believe me, I'm getting you back. <laughs> but I just love your stories. I love the way that you can make it relevant to the everyday teacher in the classroom. You make us feel so much more confident about what we can do. You instill a confidence in us. And I guess that's your coaching background, but I really appreciate it. I always say, and this is what I think is really important. I consider myself to be a gold miner. When I go in and work with teachers and, and coach teachers and so forth, I'm looking for the grains of gold because I believe all of us have grains of gold. And some of us have huge nuggets of gold. (laughs) And sometimes we forget where those nuggets are actually buried because Mm -hmm. as a teacher these days, we are so overwhelmed with so much that we have to do. And it's not, we're not allowed to just teach. I always say, Leanne, and this is, you know, we've been very, we've been very privileged in the last seven years (sighs) that we have been in a job where we've actually got the time to read the research, to make the uh, connections between the practice that we have done for years and years in the classroom. And now we can see it in the research and we can make that connection and then go and share that with the teachers out there. They don't have the time to read that research. You know, uh, particularly with early career teachers, you know, Mm. they're just surviving. And you're doing the very best that you possibly can in the situation you're in at the particular time right now. That's you right. are dealing with it. And so what we want is to be able to find ways for teachers to feel confident 
and capable in teaching mathematics without piling a whole like you've got to go and do this and you've got to do that and you've got to do that. It's six about, months PD or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's about taking what you know and valuing what you know. And I always say in with the coaching background is when when we're teachers, when we want children to change their behaviour, we focus on the positive. Mm -hmm. We find the behaviour that we want them to replicate and we focus and praise that behaviour. So Mm -hmm. in the hope that they will want to replicate that behaviour later. As teachers... Instead of focusing, and we're very, very good at doing this, we focus on what didn't work. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is actually focus on what worked Mm. and where did I have success. So finishing off with this podcast, I'd say, you know, reflect on a lesson or a time when things went really well. Mm -hmm. Think about it. What was it about that particular lesson, day, five minutes, that worked really well. Why were the kids engaged? Why was the outcomes so so good? Why, why, do, I, why do I feel like this why about Why do it? I yeah. feel like this about it? And then once you identify those, are there ways to replicate those mm-hmm. in another time? So that, you know, the next time, you can go, right, I'm going to replicate those and let's see if I can get that same engagement, success Mm -hmm. from the students so that I can actually go, that was really good. Mm -hmm. So let's shift our thinking from what didn't work to what does work and Mm -hmm. find those things that do work. So let's stop beating ourselves up and actually go, well, that worked yeah. well. There's and enough I people did... beating teachers up, believe me. <laughs> we've got our admins, we've got, you know, yeah. politicians, we've got general public beating us up. Yeah. We don't need to beat ourselves no. up. No, but mm-hmm. we need to sub- celebrate our successes mm-hmm. and not always focus on what doesn't work. And I'll finish with a little story. When I was coaching, this was way back, I was working with a young teacher and, and I was doing an observation of him. And so before we went into the class, I said, okay, so what are your success criteria for yourself? We know what your learning intention is for your students, what your success criteria are for your students, but what are your success criteria? And so we identified three and I said, okay. So we went in, we did the observation, we came out and we sat down and had a debrief. And I said, right, well, tell me how you think it went. You tell me what you think worked well and what didn't, and then I'll give you my feedback afterwards. And he immediately started running the whole lesson down about how he didn't get anything done that he wanted to get done. And, you know, and he went on like this for for about uh, probably about five minutes. And I just said, stop. Let's go back to your success criteria. Let's look at the first success criteria. And I named it. I said, Mm -hmm. how many of the students do you think achieved that particular success criteria? And he goes, well, I think all of them got it. So he said, right, you got 100% on that one. Let's go to your second success criteria. What about this one? He goes, oh, probably about 75% of the kids got that particular one. I said, okay. What about the last one? He said, probably only about 50%. So I said, you had three success criteria, 100%, 75%, and 50%. And so why are you saying that the lesson was a complete and utter Mm. disaster? 
And he goes, oh. I said, you can't change everything in one day. Mm. Celebrate your successes. This is what was successful. 75% of the kids got the second one. Yes, you're going to have to go back and visit that one again. But you're not going to have to spend a whole lesson on it. No, no. Only 50% got that. there, So you actually can add another success criteria to your next lesson because... Mastered yeah, one. That's yeah, but we have this terrible habit of teachers of always focusing on what doesn't work and we don't celebrate the 80% who do get it. Yeah, and I think by trying to focus on those successes then our anxiety levels are going to go down. We get the adrenaline from the success rather than the anxiety. Yeah, and success breeds engagement. That's right, and success. (laughs) And success. Thank you so much, Helen. I would love to see you back here again. It's been an absolute joy. I love sitting here talking to you. It's just been so nice to see you again. It's been been wonderful being back in in, um, Melbourne. I've, I've really enjoyed it. A reminder, please check our show notes at calculate.org.au where we'll put links. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to Maths Talk on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify if you're listening from one of these platforms. That way you'll get new episodes straight to your inbox when they're released. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.